0: Well, good morning, Central. How are you? Awesome. It is great, great to see you. If you're watching us online this morning, whether it's our Facebook live page, our website, or if you're at the downtown campus with Pastor Bill and Anya, we are so glad you're joining us live stream this morning. God bless you guys. We're excited for what's happening in the Pettigrew Heights area. Thanks for joining us, and we hope that the Lord really speaks to you this morning, and all of you that are here live, take out your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the New Testament, to the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the church, the churches in Galatia, chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3. We'll jump in there in just a moment as you're searching for If you need a Bible, there's probably one in the seat back pocket in front of you. Or if you're up front, maybe under the seat, you can find one. We're going to look at several scriptures. I'd love for you to read along with me as we go through uh, this teaching in in Galatians. Now, Lord, we, we thank you this morning for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your encouragement. We need your strength. We need your healing. We need your deliverance. We need your guidance. We need your hope. Lord, we, we need you. We're desperate for you this morning. And, and as, we, as we open up the Bible this morning, Lord, and, and allow, uh, Lord, your word to, to, to come into our minds and hearts, we pray that you would bring it to life, Holy Spirit. Help us to understand it. Help us to understand the, the deep meaning of the scriptures that we're reading today and, and then to apply it in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My name's Jeff, and I'm a perfectionist. Do we have any recovering perfectionists among us? How do you know if you're a perfectionist? We, we believe that that people only accept us if our lives are perfect. We got that way because... People in our lives from whom we wanted to receive acceptance and affection only gave it to us if we performed well. And because, because we want to be accepted by people, we're always performing for them. If, if we have people over to our house for dinner, the meal has to be perfect and the house has to be spotless and it's really hard for us to relax because we're always wondering what are they thinking about our house and this meal and me. It's really difficult to relax. For, for perfectionists, if we have people over for dinner, there's no such thing as a pretty good cake. Okay? A picture's going to go up in just a second. <laughs> I I would never serve that to my guests because it's not perfect. I would go to Hy-Vee if my cake turned out like that and buy a perfect cake. And I would serve my guests that. And and we perfectionists, we are jealous of non-perfectionists who serve that cake to their guests. Who serve that cake and say, it didn't turn out like I wanted, but it probably tastes good. We wish we could be like that. When when people stop by our house unexpectedly and and, and there's clutter and there's mess, when they sit down, we start cleaning up. We start picking up because we don't want them to see an untidy place that's less than perfect. And again, we're jealous of that person, that non-perfectionist, that when the friend stops by unexpectedly and there's some mess... They're comfortable with mess. And they sit down and they just start talking and they're not worried about how their house looks. For perfectionists, there's no real middle ground. It's either success, perfection, or failure. Not much in between. Which is why I never, for the most part, hardly ever, watch one of my sermons that I've preached on video, because I know it's not perfect. And, and the thought of sitting down and watching myself do something where there's mistakes, where, where I'm, 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 I'm hearing myself say things that I, I wish I would have said that differently, that's failure. And, and I don't want to confront failure. And my feeling is, if that if that sermon isn't perfect, people people won't accept me. And so I, I'm always, as a perfectionist, trying to to perform for people. One of the challenges is, as perfectionists, we impose our perfectionism on those around us. We we impose it on our kids. We, we, we require that they perform well. And if they don't perform well, we withhold our acceptance and or our affection toward them. And then they grow up being perfectionists, seeking to find acceptance by, by what they do. We, we, we impose our perfectionism on the people driving around us. Come on, somebody. You better drive right. You bet. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> Paul's wife. Can you believe that? You better drive perfectly, or, or I'm going to be frustrated with you. We, we, as a perfectionist, we impose that on our sports teams. They, they better not strike out. They better not drop a pass. They better not miss a basket. They, they need to perform perfectly, or we're frustrated with you. We, we don't focus. There, there's no such thing as pretty good. Well, wow, you know, Jeff, that was a pretty good training run. If it wasn't perfect, the the small mistakes become giant failures in our lives. Here's the real challenge perfectionists, we bring that attitude and that spirit and that perception into our relationship with God. And so we work really hard to be accepted by God. We, We work really hard to find approval and affection from the Father. Our life kind of becomes this, this performance trap. It becomes a performance trap not only with God, but with people. Some of you struggle with perfectionism to one degree or another. Galatians chapter three. Last, This series is called Free. Because we think this book, this letter to to the Galatians talks about freedom in Christ. And and Paul's intention is for us not only to be free, but to stay free. Amen? To live in freedom. And he wants to help us. And last week we talked about about being free from legalism. And today we're going to talk about living free from perfectionism. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And by the way, if you did not receive communion elements on the way in, we are going to be receiving communion at the end. And so if you want to any time just make your way to the back or have someone go for you, just, even if you don't know them, if they're on the end, just, hey, go get me some communion. That, they'll probably do that for you. <laughs> we'll, we'll take that at the end. But verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you, bewitched you, deceived you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had a picture of it on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you get saved by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, because you believed the message that you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Holy Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it wasn't in vain, was it, that I preached this message to you? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe, say believe, the message that you heard about Christ. Paul says two things in those those five verses. The first is this. When you believed in Jesus Christ, when you surrendered your life to him and trusted him alone for your salvation, you received the Holy Spirit. Uh, You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing. And so anyone that doesn't have an evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in their life isn't saved. There has to be an element of the, the presence. Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? By obeying the law, he means, did you get saved? Because it's the same thing. Getting saved, being justified by faith, being made right with God, the, 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 the direct result of that is that God gives you his Holy Spirit. And so if you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not in a right relationship with God, nor, nor is anyone else. He says a second thing. He says, does God who works miracles among you do it by obeying the law? The word for miracles there is works of power. In other words, since you came to Christ and God is continually showing you his power, working powerfully in your life, how is he doing that? By obeying the law or by the work of the Holy Spirit? It's by the work of the Spirit. So the continued growth, the continued power, the continued miraculous working and transformation of God in your life is a direct result of the indwelling Holy Spirit who works by grace. Not because you're keeping the law and being perfect. He works because you're surrendering to him. Verse 6. In the same way, Abraham believed God. Now, he's taking us way back in the Old Testament. And God counted him as righteous or reckoned him or considered him righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the Scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All the nations will be blessed Through you. So, all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of faith. Now, why does Paul take us back to Abraham? Because Abraham lived before the law. Abraham lived 430 years before God gave Moses the law. In other words, before there was a law to obey, this principle of justification by faith and not by works was already in play. It was in play with Abraham 430 years before the law even existed. So so that we would know that Abraham believed God. Abraham had faith in God and God credited him as righteous. And he does the same with us. Not by works of the law. The law came later. The law simply came to to show us how to live. The law simply came to to show us that we were sinners and need grace. The second thing is that we learn in those those four verses is this, this good news that that Abraham knew about, it's for everybody. It's for all the nations. God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So this good message, this good news of salvation by faith, it's for everybody, everybody in your relational world. Everyone in your life that doesn't know Jesus, it's for them, this, this good news. Verse 10. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under a curse, under God's curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it's clear that no one, say no one. No one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. That's not how it works. It didn't work that way with Abraham, and it doesn't work that way now. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it's through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us. Say rescued us. Now we're getting into some good news, right? Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the Scriptures, Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Last week, we talked about being free from from legalism, and today we're gonna talk about being free from, from perfectionism. But here's what I want you to remember this morning. Before we can understand... The good news of the gospel of Christ, we have to understand the bad news of our spiritual condition apart from Christ. Let me say it again. There's no good news without bad news first. We can't understand why the gospel is good until we we understand why our situation is bad apart from Christ. And so we're going to talk today about the curse of the law that we read about in Rome and Galatians chapter three. I wanna share five things about the curse of the law. The the first is this, the curse of the law involves everyone. The curse of of the law touches every single human ever born into the world. It touches you and it touches me. It touches Jew and it touches Gentile. Here's what Paul says in verse 22. But the scriptures declare that we are all, say all, we're all prisoners of sin, incarcerated, by sin, under the curse of sin. Romans 11, verse 32 says, God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so that, say so that, that. he could have mercy on everyone. Not to punish us, but to give us mercy. The the scripture says we are all shut up under sin. We're all condemned by sin, Jew and Gentile alike. So, So it seems... Sort of fair, right, that the Jews are under the curse of the law because they had the written scriptures. They had the Old Testament. They had God's law. So they knew the law. They were raised with the law. They followed the law. Their festivals were about the law. Everything was about the law to the Jew. What about the Gentile? What about the Gentile that never had the Jewish scriptures? How can he be accountable to the law? How can he be under the curse of the law if he never had the law? Well, Paul explains that in Romans chapter 2. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law, understand his law, when they instinctively obey it without having it. They instinctively obey it. Even without having heard it, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that that the day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life, everyone's thoughts. See, everyone has this this imprint of the law of God written on their hearts in the form of our conscience. Our conscience lets us know what's morally right and wrong. We know before we do it. And then we know after we do it by our conscience. It tells us, "That, that, that wasn't right. Now, the problem is, if we, if we continue in a sin, stealing, lying, cheating, whatever it is, if we willingly continue in that sin, after a while, our conscience becomes insensitive. It becomes calloused. It becomes hard. And we no longer really feel bad about that anymore. But the reality is, before that happened... You, you knew. God says, My law has been written on your heart. So, Jew and Gentile alike, we are all guilty of breaking the law of God, whether you had the written law or simply the law written on your heart. All of us are under the curse of the law because we violated it. And God's just judgment will reveal that. Have you violated the law? I'm sure, you have. We all have. The second thing about the curse of the law. is is the curse of the law includes its demands, the the demands of the law. Now, here's what Paul says in verse 10. Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under its curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey. How many of the commands? All. All. What's the demand of the law? That you obey it fully. That's, that's what the, how many of you have demands in your life? You've got things you have to do, demands that are always pulling on you. The demand of the law is obedience. Put it back up. The scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. There's a curse on those that don't fully obey God's law. Well, well, the reality is the, the law itself teaches that we can't keep the whole law. We're, we're, we're not able to keep the law. Jeff, what do you mean? Well, the, the sacrificial system in the Jewish law, the, the animal sacrifice, God, God made provision in the law that, that when Israel sinned, not if they sinned, but when they sinned, they had to bring their little sheepie to the temple. They brought little, little sheepy to the temple, and they, they sacrificed the sheep on the altar. To do what? To cover their sin. So part of the law was, was simply to show us, you, you can't keep it. And because you can't keep it, I've made provision. The provision is a substitute will die for you. A substitute will give its life for you. And the the animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament never fully and completely forgave sin. It just sort of put a Band-Aid on it until Jesus came. It was simply to get the Jews to look forward and say, oh, a lamb is coming, a perfect lamb is coming who's going to be sacrificed for us that will forgive our sins and give us life. That's the Messiah. So the Jews were looking forward to this, this lamb that was going to come. In the law itself, they recognized that we can't can't fully keep this. And in a sense, they understood that, that, that justification or acceptance with God is not based on our ability to keep the law, but our ability to believe in the one who would come. Amen? So they had to believe in Jesus Christ, believe he's the Son of God, believe he's the Messiah, believe he's the one who came to set us free and die in our place. That was the purpose of Christ. So, the the demand of the law is that we we keep it perfectly. Paul says it another way. Here's what he says later in the chapter. Let, Let me put it a different way. The law was our guardian protecting us until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through what? Not the law. The law simply showed us our need for for forgiveness and showed us that, that Christ was coming. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian because we have faith. So here's what Paul's telling the Galatians. If you are now rejecting Christ as your only source of forgiveness and salvation and you're going back to the law, which is what they were doing, Paul says, who's bewitched you? Who's who's deceived you into believing that you have to go back? They were, they were going back to animal sacrifice. <clears throat> By doing that, they were rejecting Christ. <clears throat> and friends, if you reject Christ, you are back under the law, and you're back under its curse. Which leads us to number three. The curse of the law involves its penalty. The curse of the law involves its penalty. There is a penalty for sin. There's a curse for sin. The word curse itself is horrible. It means punishment. It means judgment. It means wrath. It means suffering. Curse is the opposite of blessing. It's the opposite of honor. It's the opposite of favor. It's everything bad. And the curse of the law is hell. Jesus taught it, and all of the apostles taught it, that hell is real. Hell is the ultimate curse or penalty of sin. Sin that is not covered by the grace of Christ. Here's what what Jesus said. Matthew 25, 46, they, lawbreakers, evil people, will go away, the unrighteous, into eternal punishment. Not temporary inconvenience. Eternal means forever. Punishment means wrath, judgment, suffering. But the righteous, notice the separation between the righteous and the unrighteous. The righteous will go into, with God into eternal life. And the wicked will go separate from God into into eternal punishment. Paul says it this way in 2 Thessalonians. They, they, the wicked, the unrighteous, those who are under the curse of sin, they will be punished with eternal destruction. Forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. That's hell. Because God is everything good. God is love. God is mercy. God is forgiveness. Can you imagine being separated from everything good for eternity? Can you imagine being separated from love and forgiveness and mercy for eternity? Can you imagine living in a world that had no good, no light, no life, no hope? That's hell. And Paul says that, that hell is this eternal separation between the righteous the righteous and the wicked, separated from God's glorious power and glorious grace. John, in his letter, his, in Revelation, in chapter 20, says this, the sea gave up the dead, those that had died, which were in it. And, and death and Hades, or hell, gave up the dead which were in them. Those, In other words, those that were alive, at the return of Christ and those that had already died. They're all sort of spit onto the shore of God's judgment seat. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire permanently shifted, this this is the second death, it's spiritual death, it's not physical death, we'll all die physically, but this is spiritual death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If if there wasn't a penalty for sin, then why do we need a savior? You know, as Christians, we we, we say, are you saved? Are you saved? Hey, are you saved? Most people don't even know what we're talking about when we say that, but... Well, it's a good question. Are, are you saved from the penalty of sin? If, there, if there's no penalty, and all through the New Testament, Jesus is called Savior. Savior from what? Savior from the curse of the law. Savior from the curse of sin. Savior from an eternity in hell separated from God. Punishment, suffering, wrath. No one wants to talk about hell today. No one wants to preach about hell. It's not not a a fun subject to talk about. But I I started by saying, if you don't understand the bad news of our spiritual condition outside of Christ, you can't understand the good news. I, I want to share with you, you know, about Jesus. Why do I need Jesus? My life's good. Oh, you don't know about the curse of the law. That's bad. Let let me tell you about what you need to be saved from. Jesus taught about it. The apostles taught about it. And we ought to be talking about it because it's a reality. There There is an actual penalty to your rebellion against God. And and people, they they, they either don't believe that hell exists, either they don't believe in an afterlife, they they don't believe in in, in heaven and hell. Maybe they believe in heaven, everybody goes to heaven, but but they don't believe in hell. Or maybe they don't believe that, that, that a God who's supposed to be loving and good could ever send people that he created to hell. And those are good questions. And the good answer is this. God never has and never will send one person to hell. We send ourselves. We choose. We choose to reject the salvation, the, the gift of grace, the escape from hell that, that Christ offered us on the cross. He gave his life. We, we choose. and, and essentially, At the end of the day, God says to us grudgingly, I'll give you what you want. What is it that they want? They want independence from God. They don't want God telling them what to do. They don't want to live in a relationship with God. They want to live their lives however they want to live their lives. I was there, and suddenly the grace of God and the love of God broke into my life, and I realized there was a different way. But but at the end of the day, God says, "I, I don't want it this way, but I will give you what you're asking for. That is independence from me. Not having to live under my direction in your life. And we choose our eternal destination. And if you're under the curse of the law, if you're not under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've chosen where you're going to spend your eternity. So that's awful news, isn't it? That's the bad news. Let's shift. Let's talk about the good news. The good news is the curse of the law fell on Jesus. The curse of the law fell on Jesus. Here's what Paul says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Come on, somebody. He paid the price. I could be free from the curse of sin. Christ redeemed us. He paid the price from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. What in the world does that mean? Hangs on a tree? I thought Jesus hung on a cross. Well, let me explain. So in the Old Testament, uh, the the primary means of death for capital punishment was stoning. The Jews could stone those for different uh, sins, transgressions, And there were times, depending on the heinousness of the crime, that they would take the dead body and they would hang it by a rope from a tree or they would impale it on a a wooden stand. And they would would do that so that other people passing by, other people in the community or the city or whatever, would be deterred from doing the same crime. Adultery, murder, whatever it was. You, You see that dude dead and hanging or impaled on a pole And you say to yourself, I don't want to end up like that guy. So it was a public deterrent to sin. The Jewish law said you could only leave them on the tree till sundown. So there was a limit to it. By the time the New Testament comes along, by the time the first century rolls around and, and Jesus is there, the act of crucifixion, which was nailing a criminal to a wooden cross... And what the Old Testament talked about, uh, hanging someone, excuse me, from a tree, they became essentially the same thing. The same thing in the sense that that criminal in the Old Testament that was hung on the tree, the verse says, cursed, cursed by God is everyone who hangs on a tree. If you you got strung up, you, you were a bad dude. And they said, God's curse is on your life. And so when the New Testament comes along, they crucify criminals, same principle. There's a curse on the criminal that hangs on a cross. And this is a stumbling block to the Jews. The Jewish leaders couldn't figure this out. How can the Messiah, how can the the blameless, sinless Son of God Messiah be a criminal? How can the Son of God have a curse on his life it doesn't make sense. Paul said this. It's a stumbling block. He said, so Paul says when we preach that Christ was crucified, hanging on a cross, the Jews are offended. They, they can't get over that because that means he's a criminal. That, that means God's curse is on his life. But Paul understood the, New, the Old Testament. Paul was a scholar in the Old Testament, and he knew that the curse on Jesus was not his curse. The curse that fell on Jesus was yours. The curse that fell on Christ was my curse. He was blameless, he was sinless, he was the son of God and he took on himself the curse of humanity and when Paul understood that it made sense. Even as a former Jewish scholar, he realized, no, the Scripture said, the Scripture told us about this. In fact, back in Isaiah, look at what we read. Hundreds of years before Jesus came. Yet it was our weaknesses, our our infirmities, our sins that Jesus carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. We thought that that he was a criminal, a, a punishment for his own sins. That's what the Jews stumbled on. But Isaiah said, no, no, no. He was pierced for whose rebellion? Our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Jesus the sins or the curse of who? All of us. Jesus bore The curse of sin. He wasn't a sinner. God wasn't cursing him, but he was absorbing the full wrath of God. He was absorbing the justice of God. He was absorbing the punishment of God, the eternal punishment of God for you and for me. That's good news, somebody. He bore the curse, which leads us to to point number five. The curse of the law is only removed by faith. The curse of the law is only removed by faith. So we go back to Galatians, verse 13. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit or be saved through what? Through faith. Galatians 3.22 The scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. It's only through faith in Jesus that we are freed from the demands of the law because the law demanded perfection, which we couldn't provide. So when Jesus died on the cross, guess what he broke? He broke the power of sin, and part of the power of sin was perfectionism. Jeff Wheeler's free. Jeff Wheeler's free from the need to perform before you or before God because Jesus performed for me. Jesus fulfilled every demand of the law. Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, Don't presume that I came to abolish the law or do away with the law. I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. The sinless Son of God perfectly completed the law of God because you and I couldn't. He was perfect and we're not, and nor do we need to be perfect to be accepted by God. Jesus freed us from the spirit of perfectionism. Here's what Jesus said. This might be a familiar verse to many of you. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. What are they burdened by? The law. The the, the scribes and the Pharisees had taken the written law and they had added all kinds of of precepts and principles and, uh, and other things that they had to do to fulfill the law and it was wearing the people out. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Rest from what? The demands of the law. Rest from perfectionism. Take my yoke upon you, my teaching, my grace, and learn from me because I'm I'm humble and gentle in heart, and you'll find again rest for your souls, your your souls that want to perform, that feel like they have to live up to something. I'm going to set you free. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That, friends, is good news. Come to me all you that think you have to perform to be accepted, all of you that are weighed down with the burdens of the law, you feel like a failure all the time, you're filled with shame all the time, come to me, I'll give you rest for your souls. The the, the rest is what frees us from perfectionism. We no longer have to be perfect before God or perfect before people. Verse three, how foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by human effort? Let me ask. We're gonna gonna transition to taking communion together. So take out your elements. Can, Can I ask you honestly this morning, is your life under grace because you trust Christ Or is it still under the curse of the law? If you don't know Christ, I'm inviting you now to surrender to him. You'll you'll never, you can't live up to the law. That's why they had animal sacrifice. So they'd know I can't do this. I need Jesus. And if you need Jesus this morning, let's take a moment and pray. And just say in your heart, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've broken your law. I I admit that I'm separated from you because of my sin, but I also believe, Jesus, that you are the lamb sacrificed for my forgiveness. I ask you to forgive all of the sin I've ever committed, Lord. And, And like the scriptures this morning said, I want the Holy Spirit so that I know that I'm saved. Give me the Holy Spirit in this moment, Lord. Let me experience grace and mercy in Jesus' name, amen. And for those of you that know the Lord this morning, can you accept his grace for every sin you've ever committed up to this point in time? Can, can you receive the forgiveness of God? Can, can you accept the fact that, that he's released you from the demands of the law and from the penalty of the law? What if, what if we didn't have to perform anymore for God or for other people? What, what if we could really just rest in grace? As we approach communion, Jesus fulfilled the demands of the law because we couldn't. He took the penalty of sin on himself and he frees us from the curse of the law. So my question this morning is twofold. Let's open up the the side with the bread. Will you accept the fact that by faith, Christ in his body, when he hung on the cross, took your sin? He bore the curse that he didn't deserve so that you could be free. Take the bread. Jesus, you had to become human to fully identify with us in order to be a substitute. And you needed a body, a human body, that the the curse of sin could fall on, that the wrath of God could fall on. And we receive this body this morning, and we receive the freedom because your body bore the curse of sin. Open the side with juice this morning. And Jesus said, "This wine represents the, the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. The blood of Christ shed on the cross, represents a fountain a fountain that flows over your life and washes away every sin and every impurity and every stain in your life. It washes away the curse. It washes away the penalty. It it washes away the impurity of life so that you can have a pure relationship with God. Can you receive that this morning? The, The grace of Christ to wash away every sin. Let's partake of the juice. Jesus we receive the washing of your blood in our lives this morning we we accept the terms of the new covenant that as we put our trust in Jesus Christ we are made right with God not by performing not by works but by faith thank you for the forgiveness of sin thank you for a new start and for mercy in Jesus name amen would you stand with me this morning I have one more question if you are a Christ follower and you just shared in communion you commemorating the work of the cross and you accepted the fact that Jesus bore the curse of sin and the penalty of sin and the demands of the law so you don't have to and if you believe that the blood of Christ like a f- fountain just washed over your life and you are clean and new and sinless before him and blameless as the scripture says and if you are forgiven by God because you've received his grace and you feel great about receiving his grace here's my question Can you extend that same grace to other people? Can you extend the grace to people that sin against you? As you so readily receive it, and we need it, are you as willing to give it? Jesus said, as I've forgiven you, you gotta forgive others. Let's be a grace-filled community. A people that not only experience the grace of Christ, but offer the grace of Christ. Go in the forgiveness and grace and mercy and curse free life that you have in Christ. Let the spirit of perfectionism be broken off of your minds and hearts and walk in freedom. God bless you.